you would turn in your Bibles to Mark 1, what we just read. It's where we will be today. Authority. When I say the word authority, what do you think about? What types of thoughts, feelings, what sort of tone, images perhaps, stories, events? What comes to mind when you think of authority? Probably, it's, uh, we tend to have a sort of negative view of authority. But the truth is, we all love authority when it's on our side. When it's good for us, when it serves us, when it preserves our freedoms, when it blesses us in the way that we want to be blessed. We all love authority when it's on our side. This past couple weeks, month, uh, we've been dealing, uh, my wife has been dealing specifically with uh, this customer service issue with this eye doctor, this eye place. She's been trying to get new glasses, and it's just been an absolute customer service product nightmare. Uh, they have broken her old frames. They have given her multiple wrong prescriptions. Uh, in terms of their service, response time is like non-existent. It's, been, it's just been horrendous. It's, a, it's been unbelievable how bad that it's, it's been unbelievably bad. And so what have we, what were the, we then forced to do? Well, my wife was forced to do what any of us would do. Well, I, she needs to reach out to a higher authority. Need to get in touch with corporate because this ain't working here on the local level. Like we're not getting anywhere. So she had to reach outside of her local circumstances, local level to somebody, something, some entity higher than where she was in order to have her situation fixed. We're still a little bit in Struggleville, so it's not quite fixed yet. But the principle is there. I think you can understand that. And life is like that. Our world is like that. We're not talking about a broken pair of glasses. We're talking about a broken world. Broken hearts. Pain, suffering, evil. Hearts that don't glorify God. Right? This place is broken. We are broken. And there's nothing at this level that can clean us. That can change us. That can fix us. It's like, it's like trying to clean a dirty table with a dirty rag. Just smearing the dirt around. And that's what we do when we try to change this or fix anything in this world with the things of this world. It's not the way it works. We need something above. We need an entity above, an authority above, outside of our existence to fix our situation. It has to come from outside of ourselves. Does that authority exist? A lot of people would say, no, it doesn't exist. We're just a bunch of molecules that are swirling around. We're on this big rock flying through space with absolutely no purpose. No one's in charge, and that's, that's what a lot of people believe. That's a despairing message. That message is ultimately embrace yourself. Or, I'm sorry, brace yourself. They do embrace themselves selfishly. Brace yourself, fasten your seatbelt, it's going to be a rocky road, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. And that's it. But what if you do believe that authority does exist? 
The next question you would then ask is, well, is that authority for me? Is that authority going to fix this world? Might be up there, but is it for us? Is it going to fix our world? And when we come to the Bible, the Bible tells us resoundingly that the answer to both of those questions is yes. Yes, there is an authority outside of ourselves, and yes, that authority has come and is coming again to fix this broken, messed up world. From the beginning of Genesis, it's not only explained why this world is so messed up, because of sin, but it's been promising, prophesying that a Messiah is going to come. A Messiah is going to fix this world. A person's going to do that. And that person is the person of Jesus. Jesus is the great Messiah. And Mark today in our text is arguing for that fact. The Messiah is here. The one who's going to fix this world is here. And to do that, he begins his argument, and his argument is for this Messiah's authority. He's not coming out and just saying, here's the Messiah, or hey, this guy's got authority. He wants to show us. He wants to show us the demonstrated authority of Jesus so that we would connect the dots. Okay, this guy's got authority over all things, so therefore, he must be the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah, he's the one we need to put our trust in and who's going to fix this world. The fulfillment of every prophecy in the Old Testament. That's what Mark is doing. And so today, we're looking at the authority of Jesus. Three ways that Mark shows us Jesus demonstrating his authority over all things. Number one, we see Jesus demonstrates his authority over doctrine. Secondly, Jesus demonstrates his authority over demons. And lastly, Jesus demonstrates his authority over disease. Let's pray as we jump in. Father, speak to us now through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Reveal your Son to us. May we be encountered by you today, God. Your Holy Spirit, would it fill our hearts, illuminate our spirits, our eyes to see, to behold Jesus, the one who reigns and who is in complete, supreme, sovereign authority. And we pray, God, that that would lead us to not just know some cool facts, but that we would actually trust. We would believe and trust and give our lives to your Son for his glory and our eternal joy. Do that today. Surprise us today, God, in the way that you would work. In your holy name we pray, for your glory, amen. So number one, Jesus demonstrates his authority over doctrine, verse 21 and 22. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus, here he is, he's got these four disciples, he's just called them, and the very first thing he does when he goes into Capernaum is to go into the synagogue. The synagogues were 
central places in these little towns and villages and other cities. There was one temple. That temple was in Jerusalem. That was the main central spot to worship God. But if there was 10 or more Jews, adult Jews in another location, what they would do is they would form these synagogues. They're like little church buildings where they would get together. It would be worship. There would be school. There would be, uh, they would even have court cases there. A lot of life happened in these little synagogues. There would be teaching there in their worship. Teaching was generally open to anybody that was qualified. The, the ruler or whoever was kind of running the, the joint would, would, would invite or people could apply and, and he could let people teach. So it was kind of open, and it prepared the way for Jesus to step in. And that's what he comes. Jesus comes on the scene to teach. And what, what, the, what Mark says here is that there were, at this time, scribes. There were scribes that were the common teachers. It's the context that Jesus is coming into. Scribes, and they were like the religious all-stars of the time. One scholar even says that their prestige reached legendary proportion by the first century, on some occasions surpassing even that of the high priest. Everybody looked at these scribes like they were the elites, and they were selfish, and they were all caught up in themselves and their own religious performance, but they were the skilled ones, and everybody wanted to listen to them. They were the guys that taught so that's the context, and one day you can imagine these folks, and maybe you're there, and that's, that's the world. These scribes get up, and, and it's all minutiae of the law. It's very legalistic, life-sucking teaching. And out of, out of nowhere one day, you're in that synagogue, and this guy from Nazareth, Jesus, shows up, and he begins to open his mouth and teach. And it's like nothing you have ever, ever heard. Words of life are coming out of this man with authority, with great authority that you've never heard. Mark is very clear. This is not like the scribes. His word is astonished, meaning your jaw is dropped because this person is so different than the scribes. He's talking about authority. Authority is a big thread here. They're astonished because of authority. There's an authority, right? The, the scribes, they're teaching as those that are getting knowledge from others, derived knowledge. They're quoting other rabbis. They're trying their best to interpret the law. But this guy, Jesus, is coming at it from a completely different mindset. He appears to have complete authority over the law over doctrine not that he's against doctrine but that he's the source of it he's the embodiment of it and he's the goal of it it's very different he's not teaching things that he's heard he's teaching it because he is it he is the source and their jaws drop there is mind below like that little emoji it's probably my, one of my favorite emojis honestly but that's what was happening. This man has authority to teach unlike anybody that we've ever seen. And there's an impact here that's also present in his authority. One scholar comments on this impact. He says, when Jesus opens his mouth to teach, they were presented with a sovereign authority which permitted no debate 
and no theoretical reflection. It therefore confronted the congregation with the absolute claim that God was upon them. The absolute claim of God upon their whole person. That's what they were in all of. God was there. God was speaking. So the scribe's teaching is boring, and it's minutiae, and it's law-based, and it's just all this legalistic, legalistic life-sucking nuance, and Jesus' teaching is authoritative. It's exceedingly God-centered, grace-filled, and life-giving. Jesus demonstrates his authority over doctrine. Next, we see Jesus demonstrates his authority over demons. Verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. This is a bit of a strange story for us. In the middle of Jesus' teaching, this guy is there. And he's got an unclean spirit, and he cries out. That word is like the word shriek. There's an there's a evil shriek that happens in this moment. Because what's happening beneath the surface of what the physical eye can see, two kingdoms are coming into collision. There's a kingdom of light that's coming into contact with the kingdom of darkness, and this demon, this unclean spirit, cannot handle it. It's like when you turn on the light and, and roaches see that light and they scurry. There's this, there's this instinctual response when darkness sees light and this demon is responding. He can't help. He's compelled to respond. He sees the light and he begins questioning Jesus. And it might even be that these aren't question marks here. This demon knows who Jesus is and what Jesus is about to do. It could be statements. You are the Holy One. And you have come to destroy us. He's speaking on behalf of all the demonic other demons that are out there. You have come to destroy us. Demons have razor sharp theology. Very, very good theology. Jesus silences them, does not want, he's not even going to answer them to even give them, to give, even give them the acknowledgement that they even exist. Not even acknowledge their question. He just silences him. No, you're not in charge of me. I'm not going to respond to you. You respond to me. Silences them, rebukes them, and calls the demon out. And once again, everybody's jaw drops. Another mind-blowing experience. This man has authority over the unclean spirits. Exorcism was a thing at that time, but it required prayers, extensive prayers, rituals, all kinds of stuff you'd have to do. And this guy just speaks a word. He commands them. He's in authority over them. He is. Jesus is in authority over all the dark powers of this world, 
all the unseen evil forces of this world, Jesus is an authority over. Always has been. He always will be. John 1, 38 shows us that he is here to do something about it in that authority. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The devil has been raging and wrecking havoc on God's people and on God's creation since the beginning. And God is not sitting by idle like he's just not going to do something about it. He's on a mission to do something about it. And he is in the person of Jesus. He's here to destroy and undo everything that the devil has done against us. As a little aside here, we don't have the time to tackle this in full, but I know talking about demons brings up probably a lot of questions. I just want to make three affirmations briefly. Hopefully they're encouraging to you about demons. I want to affirm these things. Number one, we, we do not need to make the error of thinking that demons are under every rock. Nor should we make the error of thinking that they do not exist. It is somewhere in between according to biblical revelation. The second thing I want to affirm is that no believer can be possessed by a demon. No matter how strong you may feel pulled or whatever temptation inside of you, on you, or whatever, if you are a believer, a demon cannot possess your heart. You belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in you, sealed by the Holy Spirit. The deposit guaranteeing the life that is going to come. You belong to Jesus if you've given your life to Jesus. And thirdly, not every bad thing, mentally or physically, can and should be traced to a demon. We could easily go on witch hunts, always thinking there's demons, but there is clearly opportunity or uh, events, situations, as we'll see even in the next section, that everything bad in this life is not because there is a demon behind it. So for whatever it's worth, those are three broad responses to just questions I know that come up in our hearts. We need to respond in faith and in trust and in peace when it comes to the demonic realm. We have peace because the Prince of Peace has given it to us. And he's authority over the demons. So Jesus has authority over doctrine, demons, and next we see authority over disease. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Jesus leaves the synagogue and goes straight into Simon and Andrew's house. They tell him something's going on. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's laying ill with a fever. And the word there is translated like burning. She's on her bed, prostrate, burning. She's burning and they... Tell Jesus they've got some idea of what he's already done and we should tell this man about his mother-in-law. And so they do and Jesus comes. Jesus goes into the house. We see here the, the tender, compassionate heart of Jesus 
to go into this house to find this woman who is ill and is struggling and in great pain and this family that is surrounding her that is also in despair. And he goes up very tenderly and grabs her by the hand and he lifts her up. Fever's gone. The burning is gone. No essential oils, no special prayers, no rituals, no ceremony. Just holds her by the hand and lifts her up. And the fever is gone. Jesus has authority over disease. None of these are battles for Jesus. Doesn't require great exertion of strength. He just commands. He just speaks. He just does. Is every Christian going to be healed of what ails them? Yes, they will. Yes, they will be healed. In this life, no. Not at all. Even Peter's mother-in-law, she'll probably get sick again, and of course she's going to die. But we're all promised complete healing in the new heavens and the new earth. How then do we respond to this? How do we respond to Jesus? How, how are the people here responding to Jesus? These demonstrations of authority. We see in verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he, Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus demonstrates his authority over doctrine, over demons, and over disease. He is an authority over all things. That's what Mark is trying to tell us. This is good news for us. And the whole city, it says, is flocking to this residence, to this door, and they're slamming themselves in there to try to get near to this man. Some sort of hope has latched into their hearts. If I'm going to fix, my solu- fix this problem, if, this, if my problem's going to get fixed, it's that man in that house. I'm flocking to him. There's nowhere else I'm, I'm going. There's nowhere else I'm going. Is there an authority outside of our world that can fix our world? Yes, there is. You've seen him today. His, his name is Jesus. He is in authority. Are you flocking to him today for salvation? He is our Lord and our Savior. We can appeal to him not by writing an email, but simply by turning by faith and repentance to believe in him and his work. These Demonstrations you saw today are not in and of themselves the good news of Jesus. They were pointing to the good news of Jesus. You and I are not healed. You and I are not saved by what Jesus did to Peter's mother-in-law. You and I are saved by what these things were pointing us to, and that was the great work on the cross. Because this faith 
latches itself onto a God who does not then just issue a refund from a cold, distant office. It's a God who takes up our plight before we even ask and has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus to do the unthinkable to fix our problem, to die in our place. That's how That's how the broken world was going to be fixed. That's how we are fixed. Jesus would come to die in our place as a criminal on a Roman cross. The real issue here at the deepest level is the sin issue. And in the cross, Jesus takes care of our sin issue. He defeats the demons. He defeats Satan in the cross and he purchases a people. It is in the cross that we are ransomed. It's by his blood that we are forgiven. It's through this cross that Satan is slaughtered. It's through this cross that we are reconciled to the Father. And it's in his resurrected glory that we now enter into now and forever. Come to Jesus now. Come, place your faith in this God who has died for you, who is now living for you and reigning for you in supreme authority. What an unthinkable gospel that God would become a man and servant to serve the hostile rebel sinners like us, to bring us to the Father. What grace, what love, what a hope, what a peace, and what a joy we can enter into now by faith. Would you come to him as the authority who is in heaven and who has loved you in the cross and resurrection? And who is going to love us for all eternity when the new heavens and the new earth come. And he will be the perfect word of God on full display And there will never be even the slightest hint of any demonic activity in this new world. And there will not be a tear. There will be no suffering and no disease. Just glory upon glory upon joy upon joy as we gladly worship our Lord and Savior, King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We worship Him now as the one that Isaiah would say, by his stripes we are healed. And he carried all of our infirmities. He carried and bore our iniquities. Who would think that a Messiah, a king, would go to a cross? Yet that is what you have done, the most glorious display of love that one could possibly imagine. Lord, we worship you now and we thank you for life and forgiveness, your presence, your garden that we get to enjoy forever and ever. We love you, God. May we respond now in faith. May we respond with vibrant missionary living to testify about your great worth, to testify and give witness to the fact that you are in authority over all things to bring salvation and life to sinners. 
It's in your name we pray for your glory. Amen.